How was the word of God heard by the people when it was first spoken? The time, the place, the political landscape, the struggles. And how does the word of God apply to this time, this place, this political landscape, our struggles? This is Michael Leasley in Context. Understand God's word and apply it to your life. In Context. We're so glad you joined us on In Context today. We are in our sixth and final episode of a discipleship making series. And today we had a kick in the pants interviewing Annie Downs. <laughs> it was a lot of fun and little did we know <laughs> what a character uh, she was going to be just talking <laughs> to you and me. It, it was a hoot. She, she has a lot to offer. Yeah, she and does. a lot of energy, but a lot of substance. Absolutely. Um, I, I love her whole approach about having fun and Oh, we might talk about the Bible too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Andy. God's using her in an extraordinary way, uh, not just as the persona people might know of Annie Downs, but her one-on-one and small group ministry is is pretty strong. Absolutely. And I just love her conviction of if I'm not doing this one-on-one locally in my own home, I probably shouldn't be doing this globally. And my bet is a lot of leaders miss that. Hannah, I think... If we understood most people in public ministry, very few have the time or the energy. And I'm not saying that in a judgment way because maybe it's gifting, maybe it's whatever, maybe it's their choices. But as we've been talking through this whole series, you can impress people from a distance. You can show off. You can look good. You can sound good. You can have a good uh, message, but you impact them up close and personal. And when you have time over time together, that's when life makes up its mind. Yeah. Well, this is our final episode of this In Context season. So we will be wrapping up today and then working on some new and exciting things this summer. Be on the lookout for new episodes early fall of 2017. But let's go ahead and jump into Annie's conversation right now. Well, we are looking for lovely today on the podcast. We're with Annie F. Downs. That's her newest book. She's also the author of Let's All Be Brave, Perfectly Unique, and Speak Love. Annie travels around the world to talk to young women, college students, and even adults. That's good because you're talking, well, maybe you're talking to an adult today. (laughs) Maybe. I think so. (laughs) Maybe. While her larger ministry of writing and speaking is to encourage and equip others to follow Christ, Annie has a reputation for pouring into young women in the Nashville, Middle Tennessee area, what some of us like to call discipleship. So, hey, thanks for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. Thank you. So you've been in Nashville now. We were just talking eight years. Yeah, going on my, yeah, in my ninth year. Is it home? <laughs> That's right. It is. You know, I like to say that I was born and raised in Atlanta, but I grew up in Nashville. Uh-huh. I feel like I moved here when I was 28, but I didn't really start truly growing up until I got here. The Lord did some crazy stuff to teach me how to grow up here. Well, listen, we're, we're talking about discipleship in this segment of In Context, and this is an area of interest to you. Yes. So unpack the Annie F. Downs way. Sure. Of what does a disciple look like? Well, I, I'd rather listen to you. I'd rather you tell me. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I grew up in church, grew up in youth group, and I became a believer when I was really young, and I meant it. I knew what I was doing. I can remember it really clearly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, sometimes you hear people say, I got saved when I was five, but 
then I acted like a Looney Tune until I was 24, right, right? right? And I did act like a Looney Tune, but I, I remember it. I think the Lord rescued me early, um, I think, which I'm really grateful for. But my my whole teenage life, there were women who were pouring into my life, Not besides my mother, who my mom is great believer loves God and has always she and my dad have always invested in our spiritual lives a lot but there were these other women who stepped in and led our small groups Mm -hmm. and it it almost I don't know how my church did this I wish I could ask but there was almost this thing that was instilled in me of like you're in a and we were called discipleship groups we weren't called cell groups or GA no no cool name yeah no 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 no. it was you're in a discipleship group and we were together from fourth grade till we graduated high school Mm -hmm. about 10 of us three leaders and we all kind of just stayed together the whole way through. And then there was just this thing that happened when when I finished high school, the thing I thought was, okay, now I help lead a youth group. Like I, It's like I never blinked. And some of that's my calling and my gifting and what I'm passionate about. But, but I immediately turned around and started investing in the lives of high school and middle school teenagers mm. behind me. Um, like my second year of college, my sophomore what, year was of there Was there something that provoked you to do that or – was it just the next thing? I I literally don't remember thinking anything except I go to church here because I, when I moved to my college town where I went to church, I got I went to University of Georgia, go dogs, and I <laughs> was real involved in the Wesley Foundation, and and then my sophomore year, so my freshman year, I pretty much just went to Wesley and didn't get up on Sunday mornings because I didn't have to. Like, what sure. is this freedom? What is this freedom of college? I don't have to get up on Sunday morning. I go to church on Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. Like, now, as a mid-30s, I'm like, what a nightmare. <laughs> I can't imagine <laughs> going to my one church service at 9 o'clock at night. But um, that's what we did. And then and then I started my sophomore year going to church because a bunch of my friends started going to church, a church in Athens. And... And the youth pastor got up and spoke one Sunday, and I thought, okay, good. I go to church here. That's what I'll do is I'll help with the youth group because that's the life I've always known, you know. And and so for me, that's what discipleship looked like was there were these women who poured into my life on a weekly basis. And it was before cell phones, so it was before what we can do now and the experience I have now of mentoring and discipleship. And I kind of, in the faith space, I feel like those words can kind of be interchanged pretty easily. Blurred, yeah. Yeah, and I— and I kind of think they should, because I think if you're mentoring well, you're discipling. You're you're not just telling them how to live life. You're telling them how to live life with Christ in a way that makes them turn around and want to do that for someone else. Mm-hmm. And so, so when I look down at at the stream of young women and men behind me that I've gotten to invest in their lives, the ones that I consider like that went really well are the ones I see doing it for someone else, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. ones that are just still living their lives for themselves. I'm like, I mean, did I really? do that much or was I just like a sounding board mm-hmm. right so so that's what that's how I got into discipleship is that it's all I've ever known it was the life I knew and it's actually harder now I think as an adult to find discipleship and to be involved in being discipled it's real easy there's you know the older I get the more people that are younger than me so it's really easy <laughs> to find someone now who's younger than me that needs you know wants a older female voice in their life, whether it's men or women. I have a real interesting relationship with a handful of um, young men in their mid-20s that were Vanderbilt baseball players. Interesting. And I am their big sister, and I am their, in a lot of ways, I mean, one of them who is not a believer calls me his spiritual director. Wow. Right? But he's not a Christian currently. He will be, I think. I think think we're getting, 
he's hearing the truth. And, um, and so when I look at all of their lives, I think, well, I didn't know anything else when I was a teenager, but that when you're an adult, you care about teenagers. Let's differentiate a little bit about sure. mentoring and discipleship, because I do think there's, there's some synonyms there, mm-hmm. but when you think of mentoring a young woman, maybe in her life skills, mm-hmm. is that the same as discipling her? Well, for me, they are really similar because I'm just trying to live my life the best way I know how with Jesus and invite younger people into that story with me. Do you think that's compelling in and of itself, Annie? You know, uh, Howard Hendricks was uh, one of my mentors and professors in in grad school. He used the the acronym FAT MAN, Mm -hmm. Faithful, Available, Teachable. And he said, you knock them in the head and they come back for more. Uh You know, and there are certain people that are on that cusp of they just have never had anyone guide them sure so if they see someone like annie f downs and they go wow uh she seems real uh-huh is I hope. well i mean that draws them right yeah that's it and so with my career versus my personal life i'm a real believer that if i'm not involved in local ministry that I probably shouldn't be out on the road doing global mm-hmm. stuff either. Because I think when I stand before Jesus, what he's really going to ask me about is the people who had my phone number, not the people who bought my books. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, the people who buy my books and, and that see me on stage, I am called to minister to them well. The young women who come to my house every Tuesday night for four year, their four years of college, who they become is much more important to Jesus, I think. I could be wrong. And well, again, Hendrick's line is you impress at a distance, you impact up close. Yes, and that's and that's it. And if you're not willing to do the messy, right. it, Christians use that word a lot, don't they? That's kind of annoying. Not messy, but like the real life. <laughs> like, I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, ugh. <laughs> Let's um, do life together. Can we do yeah, life together? it's going to get messy. You're like, stop. It's not always <laughs> messy. Sometimes it's just hard and terrible. Can we just say it's hard and terrible? <laughs> if I'm not willing to let people into the hard and terrible sides of this, then – then I'm I'm probably just a showboat. What what would you say? What do you what do you want? Let's talk about a young woman you're discipling. Sure. Let's say she grew up in a Christian home, nominal, maybe was engaged, disengaged, back and forth. She kind of ambles around, and you get her, and she's sort of like wet cement. Mm-hmm. What do you want her to know? What do you want her to believe? What do you want her to embrace? What do you want her to own? Yeah. After a period of time. Yeah, so with my small group girls, that we started when they were freshmen at Belmont, and they finished their senior year last year. So we did four years in my house. And the things that really mattered to me that they walked away with is that the Bible's all true. Because I think you can wrestle with all of it. I mean, right, the priests and the, and the rabbis in the olden days of the Bible, they would argue about the Bible all the time. So, <laughs> so I don't think believing the Bible is true means that you don't wrestle with it. So I want them to believe that it's true, even if it brings them to wrestle. And it should. It does me, right? So I wanted them all to believe the Bible is true. I want them to believe that God is who he says he is and figure out what who he says he is. You know, in my lifetime, I can't give you all the things that God is. We can't have enough conversations to say all the things that God is. But, but I can tell you who he's been to me. And I can tell you what some of the places where the Bible just finds him and says who he is. And so even as I'm saying all this out loud to you, I think what I want for young men or young women that I'm helping grow in their faith is I want them to want to figure him out for themselves with the understanding that there is a, there is absolute truth, not with, okay, you go sort out your truth while I'm over here sorting out my truth. It's like, do do you see that a lot in, in folks that you work with? 
this moral relativism yes. that what's true for you? Yes. I think that's, I think that is consistent in our culture right now. There's women and men who do my job that I watch on Instagram and Twitter that are writing books and posting things that say, just find your truth, find your truth and run hard after it. That's brave to find your truth. And I'm like, that word doesn't give us permission to create new truth. It's truth. <laughs> why why right? do you think that's so compelling? Because I, I experience the same thing, but I have a sphere of influence and yours is different. Why, why do you think that's so compelling to people? Because it's not disappointing. Of course it would be. Because if they run to their truth, they find it hollow. Uh-huh. Right? Well, but they're running to their truth because the absolute truth has not given them the things they want. Or they haven't wrestled, back to your word, right. with what absolute truth means, that it's not lane lines it's freedom sure that's exactly right yeah i would agree with that what i'm seeing in my experience of people in their 20s and 30s young 30s maybe even a little bit in teenagers as well though my you know who i'm locally invested in the most are mid-20s right now is that when things feel hard they think there must be a different story i don't get here so they don't want to work that hard yeah but not in like a they're lazy kind of way right and like right. a um it, should, it shouldn't fear. be this difficult. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be this hard. If it's this hard, I've If done it's my dream, it should be easier. That's right. If I wanted to get married when I was 21, I should be married. If I wanted to have kids, and my husband and I, we should be able to have kids. And if we wanted to make more money, we should. Like, everything should make sense. And when it doesn't, they go, well, then I have misunderstood truth. And I need to sort out what truth actually is versus wrestling with, what if God is good and I still don't have what I want? What do I do with that? That's a way harder wrestle for me and the people I know mm -hmm. and invest in and invested in me. That's a way harder wrestle than what if I don't have what I want? How can I redefine God so that I can not be worried that he disappoints me? When we look at uh, churches, and I've been a churchman for most of my adult life. I'm not anti-church. I'm not mm -hmm. mad at the church. Church takes a lot of blame. Sure, I totally uh, agree with that. Student ministries takes a lot of blame. Some of it is probably legitimate, but at the same time, a church can only do so much. Man, it, how many times a, do people in their 20s, 30s go, am I a youth leader? And right. you're like, shut up. They gave up every Sunday night of your whole <laughs> life. They didn't see a single good television show on Sundays. And the they're going to have 90s. liver failure from all the Pepsi and that's pizza right, that that's right, that's for, right. for 15 years and all-nighters. Um, so we look at the local church and we say what the church could and couldn't do. I find it striking that when you look at Christ's life, he moved from a masses ministry to a small multiplication ministry of 12, technically 11, mm -hmm. and that's where he spends the bulk of his 24-7 time. Mm -hmm. and, and somehow in the axiom, we're building churches hoping someone else will make disciples, mm. when Jesus told us to make disciples and he would build the church. Mm. And so for, for folks like you and hopefully me and others who take this seriously, A, how do you stay motivated? B, um, you've had some successes, and you can look back and say, hey, this young guy, this young woman, they're really tracking for Christ. Could you explain that to someone going, you know, I've always wanted to make a disciple, Annie, but I don't know what that looks like, and how do you measure it? And yeah. For my girls' group, we always knew we were going to go till they graduated. So there was – so it's external motivation. Did you calendar. vet Did you vet them? Did you, like, say no, this, was, this is serious, we're going to do it every week, I don't want you, you know, wigging out? Yeah, we did. Probably through our, we started the January of their freshman year. Most of them were freshmen. There were two that were older. 
but most of them were freshmen and we started in January and by that end of that spring when we had decided we were going to keep going. So I guess maybe we'd met maybe six or seven times. We just, I, I just said, Hey, this is what I feel like would be right for us. And so I'm going to ask you to stay with me until mm-hmm. you graduate mm-hmm. and for us to finish this together and commit to our church. And cause that's another thing that we see here in Nashville. I'm sure you'll see really clearly like m- most churches do that, that we have a lot of students in Nashville, college students who want to go to a church. So they go to four churches. So they don't invest anywhere, but they go, Oh, all my friends are going here. I'm going to go here. I mean, one of my girls who was in my small group, the entire time got baptized at a different church. And I was like, what? Wait, we're like, what are you doing? You know, so th- I mean, that's kind of how the culture. This is where Instagram busts you. Oh, right. I was like, you, and, and it was beautiful. And I'm so glad she did made that choice. Right. But then you're like, okay, wait, how many places are you going? And it's not a problem to get that much content. I think anybody right now, whether for me, you know, I have church on Sunday. I go to, I have podcasts I listen to when I'm, working out at Radnor. I mean, I'm taking in that much content from that many different pastors probably, but I'm not going to four churches on a Sunday, right? Or going to four churches in a month. And you just miss out on something when you don't commit into a church, I think. And so that was our thing with those girls is that we were always committed long-term and long-term and being their college career. So how else do you stay motivated? It's really hard because it is hard to do. To really invest in someone takes a lot. I mean, I have on my calendar, I would have make notes of when to remember to text people, you know, like, cause I, I just would forget. So it, it doesn't get to just be this feel good or like, man, I just really love, I feel like being a mentor. It's like, no, like sometimes you have to put it on your calendar that to remind yourself that you're a mentor and that you're discipling. Cindy and I have a young married mentor group. It's, it's called a mentor group, mm-hmm. but it's discipleship. We hope. And at the end of the day, um, I pursue these guys one-on-one. Cindy mm-hmm. tries to pursue the women one-on-one. And it is that. I mean, it takes it takes help from others to get it on the calendar and then yep. chasing them down. And yep. then they don't always respond. Or last minute, they cancel. I'm like, wait a minute. I put this on my calendar. Right. <laughs> right. Me and <laughs> my people put this on my don't calendar. Don't you realize? Well, it's even just it's the principle of here's an older guy. Well, maybe that's what it is. Pursuing yeah. <laughs> you. Always buying your lunch. Always right. buying your coffee. And I'm happy to do that, but there's also this, you know, and not to be, uh, I mean, we should be more mature than this, right? And say, hey, that's part of the deal. But what I find, Annie, is when I'm with them, that all pales. That's right. Isn't that the truth? I mean, I would fit, we'd have a Tuesday night where my week had been insane. I don't want to go Tuesday yeah, night. Go, don't oh, come to my house. They don't want to come. I don't want to cook dinner. Five minutes I in. Yep. As soon as they're there and we're all eating and someone's talking their real life, I was like, I love doing this and, so much. And this is where I think most people who had small groups, whatever you want to call them, in mm-hmm. the past get discouraged because mm-hmm. they work so hard. And then if they have three couples or four people and two don't show, that's a big deal. It's a big difference, yeah. And then they get discouraged. And instead of rallying troops, you know, we had an experience about four or five years ago with a couple. And I make them do homework. I don't know what you do. Mm-hmm. But they have to do fill in the blanks and read oh, cool. books and come yeah. back. You yeah, know. we read books. That's okay. what we've always done. And, um, and one of the books is a theology book. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit, for some, it's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. And uh, this one couple was kvetching about it and complaining about it. So I take the guy out. I say, you know, when you sign up for this group, there were many couples that applied for this two-year program. And we let you and your wife in. And I just yeah. basically am the old man talk. Yeah. And I said, here's the deal. you got to buck up. 
And part of this is leading your marriage and your wife in a good and kind way to say, we signed up, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, he did a 180. I mean, they just really? did, and they really improved. Now, last go around, a couple that figged out. Yeah. So I think. But you asked them to commit to two years. Yep. We do yeah. two years. But my yeah. point is, in, in helping other people who might be listening to you and me, when you start and stop these things, even if you do your best, you're going to lose some, win some. That's right. And I think there's something really wise about saying to people, when you start a small group, say to everybody in the small group, let's do this for six months. Let's do this for this semester. Let's do this for one year. That's why races work. That's why 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons work because everybody <laughs> knows there's a finish line, right? <laughs> if you just said, hey, g- come out Saturday morning and start Run. running. No one's going to do it because they don't want it. They don't know how long they're going to be out there. They don't know how, how far you're going to ask them to go. They don't know the race path. But if we will give these people we're mentoring and discipling a race path and give them a finish line, then they will go, okay, I can, yeah, that's a good, that's worth our year. Let's get babysitters. Let's take our Tuesday night that way. Okay, we're going to do that for a year. And here are the four books we're going to read this year. So we can make sure we budget right. Mr. Dave Ramsey, make sure we budget right to go as far as we can with cash, right? And buy the four books for that year. And so I just think that helps a lot. People, a lot of times I think mentoring and discipleship, we need to add more business mind to it a little bit to remember like, no, this is something we're investing in. When you go to the gym, you make an investment, you set goals. When you know, when you're at work, you're setting goals and you have timelines. So we should do that when we're investing in the people to some degree, right? You don't want to make the whole thing into like a spreadsheet. But but I think it's helpful. With my the young men that I speak in their lives, most of them are professional baseball players. And so we have the season. So we know what happens on season. We know what happens off season. So when we're on season, I mail them books. We read them together. We get on FaceTime and talk about them. We wow. set, we set. okay, we're going to read to page 50 by next Friday. And, and it's impossible, right? Because I've got four dudes spread across four professional baseball teams that play on all sorts of different nights. So we talk way less. Than I hope we, you like baseball. Uh, I've learned to. <laughs> I've learned way more about baseball than I played. I'm a huge sports person anyway. So athletes, I think, are fascinating humans. We could talk for a long time about how I think athletes are are made to be the best Christians. Well, it is a biblical metaphor. Right, right. And they their minds are so tough, right? Their bodies only do what their minds tell them to. And so if we had more Christians that had the perseverance of athletic minds, we'd have a different faith, mm. I think. But um, so that's how we so, – so with the dudes, we have a set – we're going to read this. We're going to talk now. We're going to – Do you inject in their thinking in this time – process uh you have to be making disciples at some point yeah not as well as I should Mm -hmm. not with the guys as well as the with the girls it's a little bit easier there's a lot more understanding for me of how to mentor and lead young women mentoring and leading young men was not something I ever thought I would do I thought oh yeah of course I want to invest in young men I think dudes are awesome I'll marry a guy and he'll do that Well, that just hasn't happened yet. And so, but God's brought these young men into my life. And so under my pastor's authority, and we've, we've worked out how that looks to be a big sister to these dudes. And so it's a little bit harder to, to work into that relationship, how to teach them to turn around and do that for other young men. But we've seen it. And and because again, this is a different group of people because they're athletes, they're coaches, put that on them a lot. You know, Hey, these freshmen just moved to Nashville to play for Vandy. Are you taking them to dinner? Are you taking them to church? Are you taking them to hang out with your friends? You know, they, so they kind of athletes kind of have that in them. Um, But yeah, with my young women, it's been neat to see what they've turned around and done. There's one of them that's really involved with inner city ministry and is just, and just 
mentors and leads tons of young high schoolers here in inner city in the inner city part of Nashville. And I, I don't take any credit for that. I probably messed her up more than I helped her, but uh, it is just amazing to go like something you saw here was one of the experiences in your life that made you want to do that for someone else. I think that's awesome. Talk to a 25 ish young woman Mm -hmm. and she's maybe uh, finished college a couple of years now. She's kind of, she's in the, let's just say the middle Tennessee mindset, Atlanta mindset, Dallas mindset, wherever. And she's going with the flow, hanging out with the girls, going out, you know, maybe not drinking to excess, maybe not partying to excess, but she's just in that life. Yeah. She's working a career, uh, looking for a guy. Yeah. Um, How would you prod her to say, you need to get serious about this with the Lord? Yeah. You know, I think I'd ask a lot of questions first. Because there's a reason she's is where she is. If she really came into my life, I bet it would take two to three months of consistent coffees before I asked her to do anything. You know, Young Life, like you brought up earlier, Young Life says, earn the right to be heard. For me, a, a young woman like that is going to have to figure out that, and for my life, but I'm 36 and single, it's kind of scary to them to go, if she invests in me, am I going to be 36 and single, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which, no, you probably aren't. I am, I am... <laughs> One of a few. So, but um, no, there's more of us than, than ever before, right? But yeah, so, so, so but you you're have not to bitter. Earn, right. No, no, no. I'm, it's fine. It's going to work out great. But you have to earn this, like, there, it just takes time to earn trust of, of someone, anybody in their 20s right now. It takes time to earn trust. So All right. Let me interrupt you. Okay. Sure. I, I'm with you. And culturally, uh-huh. I think you're right. But when I look at Christ's model of discipleship, uh-huh. he handpicks them. He, right. I know. And we're not Jesus. We're not saying, you know, but is there some sense? And again, I'm trying to both for those who are maybe I'd like to be discipled. I don't know what it looks like. And uh-huh. I think maybe I could disciple others, but I feel inadequate. Yeah, sure. Um, which of us doesn't. Right. Uh, and at the same time going, you know, look at what Christ did. Yeah. He pursued these guys. He asked them to follow him, to go along with them, yeah. to do stuff with them. Yeah. Um, and we're such a community doing life mm-hmm. together nomenclature mm-hmm. as opposed to you know if you got to run an errand if you're going to go to totally. the market if yeah. you're going to go see a film mm-hmm. uh not that you just film out but talk about the movie afterwards mm-hmm. ask some probing questions mm-hmm. tell me tell me your story we worship story right yeah totally i mean is it really that hard to go out there and, and gather four five six eight people and just start saying let's let's no do i think that that's what makes sense i mean that's one of the beautiful things when i have speaking events that i can drive to my, my car is full I load up as many young women or young men that want to go with us. And I go, hey, we're, I'm only going to be gone for seven hours. Well, it's two hours to get there. We work for three hours and two hours back. Come with me. You know, and then and so that's one way that we do that. In a busy life, fitting in, discipling, really discipling one-on-one time with eight people is, per week would be really hard. When my girls and I were still meeting regularly, I saw everybody every other week individually besides our Tuesday nights. But I mean, there were times where I was like, get in the car. I got to like get my laundry from the, <laughs> and I've got to right. go to the post office. And have you ever had a Coke Icy? You've never had a Coke Icy? Well, we're having Coke Icy's. <laughs> and then we'll just drive around and, and I'll run my errands while she's talking about her life. And that sometimes is the best you can do, right? That's not what you want to do every week with everybody is just go like, but, along, but that's, but, the, I mean, think of first century, the, the course of life was on foot it yep. was it was customary. You you got water. You ate a meal. Yeah. You walked by foot. Your trade was walking right. by. And I think in our in our technologically adroit world, mm-hmm. you know, Snapchat, Facebook, uh, what are their mediums we're using now? You know, Instagram to to make disciples. Yeah. <laughs> 
just not, a, yeah. It's, well, it's interesting. Yeah, that's right. And and I do find value in being able to share my life on those platforms. I feel like there is a way to do that well that I hopefully am learning and attempting. A way to do that well that people feel like Annie's – well, the sentence we have hanging in our office is, Annie is your friend you get coffee with and sometimes you talk about the Bible. Right? Like that's our whole thing. That is that is what I do. That is what I feel called to do is to be friends with people who via social media or books are speaking and that they feel like we're friends and sometimes we talk about the Bible. And so and so I try to live that with the people here too, have them in my everyday life. Mm-hmm. And like I said to you from the beginning, I, I am not a big believer that I can do the Instagram and not do the getting Coke ices with somebody. I think if you're going to, Pick one, you should be getting Coke ICs with somebody in your life. And then if other doors open up for you to do more of a global thing, do that. So back to that 25-year-old girl that shows up that, you know, her mom sends her my phone number because I've known her mom a whole life and she wants me to get coffee with her and she just moved to Nashville. You know, after we've had coffee a couple of times, then I'm inviting her to things. Then I'm saying, hey, some other friends, I just finished this book. Do you want to borrow it? I'd love to talk. We can talk about it when we're done. When you're done reading it, why don't you try to finish it? Let's, let's try to finish it in three weeks. You know, like it's just kind of that soft invite in that hopefully ends up with at some point an invitation to church, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think it's important to plug into a local church. And so I want my friends plugged into a local church. So probably I'd say in four months, we've talked about her story and my story. We've read a book together of some sort. We've got, we've done some activity together and she sat with me at church. Recently, you gave a message, and you talked about this thesis that -hmm. people need to have. Mm -hmm. Why don't you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I just think it, you know, when we were growing up in elementary school and through school, you learned how to write a thesis paper, a thesis statement where it was, you know. Now, do you think people today know? I think so. I mean, you remember there's the three points, right? Right? Your thesis says. You had a good education. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I also used to teach elementary schools. That may be why it's fresher on my mind. But, you know, they'd say, like, I love cats because they are Blah, blah, blah. And they'd have three things. Then each of those paragraphs would say, would expand on one of those three things. And I just kind of think we'd be really well served if we sat with the Lord and with people that invest in our lives and came up with our own thesis statement of what, what you are doing with your life. What is the thesis statement of your life as best you can figure it out with what you know. And for me, mine is that I entertain people long enough that they learn something Mm -hmm. like professionally. My thesis statement is I entertain people long enough. They learn something. So I'm funny or I'm loud or I tell a good story with the hopes that they learn something in the end. That is true when I write books. That is true when I speak on stages, but that's also really true when I'm investing in the lives of people around me is that I am building a fun environment where they feel welcome. This is true with my young men and the young women I invest in. I've seen that in discipling and in mentoring that for me, that people feel most comfortable stepping in when I am being the best me and the most, the truest to me. And I entertain people long enough to learn something. That's what I do. You know, it's interesting because I think this is so hard for people. And I, I remember, of course, in seminary, we had to write a philosophy of ministry, sure, which was the 30-page paper yeah. of your paragraph. <laughs> you right. know, And then I, I, I joke about write it in pencil. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I think people need to hear the first attempt at this may not be the, right. the most clarifying. It that's may right. take you a couple, three, four, five years yes. before you get to say, hey, this is who I am. God has gifted me uniquely. 
I have certain skills. Mm-hmm. I've got certain inclinations. Mm-hmm. I mean, you like sports. If a person doesn't, it would probably not be the best relationship to them to entertain totally. that world. View totally. vice versa. Music industry makes more sense to be around those in industry. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and we make this too hard. Back to my point. That's right. We all have a sphere of influence, and you've obviously captured yours well, and you know, hey, these are the people I can reach. Mm-hmm. I hope so. And I think when you're thinking about your thesis, the other thing I encourage people to do, invite other people in because other people are seeing your life probably better than you are. Yeah. But also look back, what stuff did you love when you were a kid? What jobs have you loved? Are there themes to every job you've had, even from when you were in high school doing, you know, for girl, for well, boys too, but, you know, I worked at like a summer camp. Why did I do that? Oh, because I love being around people that are younger than me and I love having fun. Oh, that has always been a theme, you know? So, mm-hmm. so I think it does take some time to sort out what some thesis statements for your life, but it is so beneficial. Annie Downs. Thanks for talking to us oh, about for discipleship's me. fun. My pleasure. Michael Easley in Context is fully funded from donations by our listeners. If you're a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation on our website? You can find us on michaelincontext.com. In Context is engineered by Chad Cates, produced by Hannah Seymour, and music composed by Tycho, Chad Cates, and Blair Masters. <laughs>